Welcome to my podcast, Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, an interior designer with a passion for managing construction projects, large and small. My mission is to empower women, both homeowners and interior designers, to manage renovation projects like a pro. My goal in sharing my knowledge and experience from working in the field for the past 29 years will allow you to avoid the mistakes I have seen and go into projects confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your projects will be as smooth and as successful as possible. I am thrilled to announce that this is my 100th episode of the podcast. While I can't say I imagined this moment when I first started, I am so excited that it's here. The community that has formed around this podcast with designers looking to uplevel their knowledge of renovation management and add that service to their clients is truly fulfilling. So in celebration of the 100th episode, I brought in my friend, Rachel Bozick, who is an international keynote speaker. She is an in-demand elite personal branding coach behind some of the nation's most talented interior designers from Luann Nagara, Sandra Funk, and Kathy Kuo. She has lectured at the Harvard Business School, been featured in forms, and is recognized as the go-to elite personal branding coach for the luxury design industry. She has an extensive background in monetizing personal brands, women seeking their strategic expertise when ready to land consistent luxury clients, exclusive press, and seven-figure partnerships. Think about being positioned as the go-to for luxury new brands, press in El Decor, paid speaking at High Point Market, and partnerships with luxury architects who will fill your pipeline for you. With a truly innate ability to build lucrative brands, over 40 press outlets and 30-plus universities have requested Rachel as a speaker to share her distinguished craft. And we are lucky enough to have her on today. So get out your pen and paper to take down notes on all of the amazing advice Rachel has to offer you today. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. I am excited to share this conversation with my personal coach, Rachel Bosick. She is an elite personal branding coach that serves some of the design industry's most talented women. These range from up-and-comers to seasoned professionals like Luann Nagara, Kathy Kuo, and Sandra Funk. Please welcome my friend, Rachel. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. This is really exciting. What we have in common is our desire to promote and and elevate women in the design industry. So tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So you briefly mentioned this before, but I guess in short, what I do in terms of the SparkNotes version is I work with female entrepreneurs and I specifically serve the interior design industry and I help my women monetize their brands. And I say I do this through the four P's, right? So it's positioning press, paid speaking, once in a while, they like that, right? And partnerships. So a perfect example would be to help a interior designer. Let's say she's, I'm going to like totally make this up right now. Say she's out in Connecticut, right? And she feels like she's living in a super oversaturated market and she's constantly bidding on projects. She's getting outbidded. She's not being selected and chosen. She's just exhausted. And she comes to me and says, I want less clients and I want larger budget clients. How do I do it? So number one, we'd be positioning her as the go-to in her market for those luxury projects. We'd be going after the second P, press, trying to get her features in, depends on the publication that would make sense for her, but it might be Architectural Digest. It might be in my domain. It might be Better Homes and Gardens, right? So making that decision on press, if she's interested in speaking, some of my clients are, some of them aren't, call it a 20, 30% are interested to be speaking at like high point market or speaking on industry podcasts and then partnerships. So we'd have a big central conversation on that Connecticut interior designer of like, who do we need to partner with to really monetize your brand? 
So for example, if she wants to do luxury new builds, right, and we positioned her as the expert, what builders do we need to connect with that can fill the pipeline for her? How do we reach out to them? What do we offer them in terms of a partnership? How do we make sure that it's pipeline filling? So that is the work in short with example. I guess it's not that short of what I do. (laughs) No, that is fantastic. And I know people are taking down notes right now. Tell them, since I know your backstory, tell them a little bit why you focus on the interior design industry. Yeah. So I'm a licensed interior designer myself. I went to High Point University, you guys. Um, So I was working market at 17 or 18 years old. I was helping, isn't that wild? uh, Helping to set up market. And I remember being, uh, you know, in the showrooms and them being like century, right? Like interning with them. They were like, you can style a vignette. And I was like, really? Me? (laughs) Or they have like a a bajillion, like thousand square footage, like all over the place where it was such an honor. So I would do pre-market, I'd work market with the sales reps, and then I'd help, you know, disassemble market. And so funny, I would buy floor sample, just quick tangent, right? During market at like 17, 18 years old, I'd be like, you know, buying Regina Andrews semi-damaged lamps for, you know, 60 bucks. And I'd be like storing them in my dorm room. So I am like born and raised in the industry, went to school for design. My parents were in real estate, not the glamorous side though. They own fraternity housing and I got my real estate license when I was 20. I'm obsessed with the industry, absolutely obsessed. And I just have a true passion. My brain really works more on like the marketing, the branding, the positioning, the luxury sales realm than it does with blueprints, right? So I come in and I look at interior designers. I speak the language of design and I'm like, how do I monetize you, sister? What does that look like? And many times I'm, you know, helping to double my client sales from these positioning. Well, and I think that's really the secret sauce, right? So many designers, me, myself included, don't necessarily see themselves as marketing themselves very well. We, we're in the day-to-day. We love what we do. And, and actually, just side note, we've always wondered, what does High Point look like outside of market? It feels <laughs> like an entire world. And then does it just shut down entirely? Yeah, it totally shuts down. Yeah, it's like, totally and completely dead, you guys. When I first started my business, like a bajillion years ago, this is my second company, but I lived in High Point and my rent was $340 a month. And I shared a house with five girls. It's rough and it's quiet, but I I definitely put in my time. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and, you know, was offsite meeting manufacturers, visiting manufacturers. And I understand the industry pretty well because I did have that experience early on. That's an incredible experience that most designers, their entire careers don't get, right? Because they're so busy doing everything. They don't niche down into, say, furniture or brands or manufacturing companies. And I think it's hard. And I I always tell my clients when when I say to them, I'm like, here's how we want to position you. Here's what we're going to say to AD, right? Here's your sales call script. Like, here's how we're going to double those sales. They look at me and they're like, oh my God, I just wish my brain worked this way. You're handing me 30 plus pages of notes to do it. Like, I wish I could have done this myself and they feel bad about themselves. And I always say, you guys, everybody has a special factor. They do. Right. And my women that are interior designers, their special factor is designing. It's coming up with brilliant concepts. It's being solution focused. It's, you know, forming a really great Rolodex with industry professionals and craftsmen and whatnot. And it's hard to be, you know, doing it all. So I I always say it's like my special factor. And honestly, like, my God-given gift, and we all have this, but is to look at a woman and say, here's how I can help monetize you. And that feels like just such an honor of a lifetime, right? To be able to like come into a woman's business, many of them namesake firms. And we're like, how do we monetize you so you could support your family? So you can do the work that you want to do. And that's why my work feels like a lot of fun. Which is amazing. And if it's fun, then you you also excel because you're not so worried about the day-to-day. You're enjoying it. And so a lot of listeners I have that have reached out to me are newer to the business and feel that the women they see in AD or in, you know, Washington Post articles, they've got it all figured out. And can you talk for a minute about some of the really high-level designers that you have had that they've hired you to help them kind of figure that out? And so that kind of pull the curtain back so that someone who is newer might be able to see themselves as that position down the road or even sooner than that. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I would say I work with a variety of women. 
So I truly work with like a decent portion of my clients, probably about 50% or so are up and comers. So what would I would consider an up and comer would be someone that's like two years, three years in the industry. They've built a portfolio. They've had some sales. Maybe they have some vendor relationships and they're just like, I am freaking exhausted. What do I do now? And then I work with women that are 20 years in the industry, you know, doing millions and millions in sales. But my typical client is making about $500,000 total revenue for the year, upwards of millions and millions. So just to be clear, like the earlier you could figure out the positioning, the more success you're going to have, right? And I always tell my women that, like women that I meet that are 20 years in the industry, they're like, where were you year two for me? So what I would say to you, and I think this is just like a, a helpful tip and listeners, like I'd write this down, but like people don't pay top dollar for general experts. I'm going to say that again. People don't pay top dollar for general experts. So what I mean by that, I'm not calling you guys general experts, but typically what's happening is I'm seeing women new or seasoned in the industry positioning themselves as a general expert. What I mean by that is saying, hey, I do design. Hey, I do luxury design. Hey, I do design meets construction. You guys, same with everyone else. So if we're thinking about this like Connecticut designer and she looks around like same with everyone else, everyone else wants to do design meets construction. Everyone else is calling themselves a luxury interior designer. The question becomes why you? And that's my favorite part of my job is looking at a woman, helping her to understand how can we take her from a general practitioner to a specialized surgeon? And you know this, Renee, because you and I have chatted about this like on a personal level, but I'm going to share this story just because I feel like it's pretty powerful. My fiance this past spring was involved in a massive accident, you guys. We were splitting our time between Chicago and Charleston, and he was on his bike in Chicago and literally got swiped by a car so bad in an intersection. His body totaled two cars, two. We went through 19 hours of trauma surgery. He's okay. Like no head, neck, back, spine injuries. He's going to be walking down the aisle, which is very exciting. But I'm using this example because when we showed up at the hospital, we were on the floor of chaos. We were on the floor with like the nurses trying to take vitals. We had the ambulance crew there. And what did I do? I naturally acted like a pit bull. I don't trust anybody or anything that's happening right now. I end up calling one of my girlfriends and her husband's like a top orthopedic surgeon in LA. And I'm like, do we need to change hospitals? What's going on? Right? Because guess why? No one was taking the lead. Okay. Now I want you guys to listen to this next piece of this example. It was probably 10 minutes later. It honestly probably was 10, but it felt like a decade later. We had someone come in and he said, hi, I'm a specialized hand surgeon. So his elbows, his wrists, his legs, feet, that's another story. But his hands are a top priority right now. I've done thousands of these hand surgeries at Northwestern. I specialize in this. I used to be a professor teaching the next generation. The top piano players in the world, they come to me. He's going to be using his fingers again. So what I did was I took a massive deep breath and then I started to text our friends and family because I was like kind of that liaison and ambassador talking about, you know, what was going on, being like, we're in a good position. Okay. So what I help my clients do, like in short, is take them from general practitioner to specialized surgeons. Specialized surgery, you guys, is where your money is insurance was covering this, but like I would have paid an arm and a leg for this. We're like downstairs. I was like, do we need to move hospitals? Okay. I would have paid anything for it. It's also where your best referrals come from and the most client trust. So in short, I help my clients niche down to specialized surgery because you're living in an oversaturated market. Everybody and anybody can be entrepreneurs right now, which is so incredible and empowering, but it's also overwhelming when you're trying to quote unquote, like compete or get the job. And people don't pay top dollar. You heard me say this before. I'll say it again for general experts. So the question becomes, why you? 90% of my clients come to me saying, I don't know why me. You tell me, right? So don't panic on that. But my question becomes, what are you sitting on that you're a true expert at? How can we make you known for that? And what's actually really interesting, Renee, that we are, you, you were just asking about this idea of the press I have tons of clients that are two years into the industry already gaining national press. The reason why they're getting it is because we declared themselves an expert. 
Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And and I also want to add and to the designers listening is your clients, your potential clients are searching desperately mm-hmm. for that expert. And desperately. I think desperately. And they are not necessarily sure how to define the expert, which gives the designer the opportunity to define it for them. And I mm-hmm. think that's a missing link in a lot. You know, I always say on the podcast, I don't talk about things that I haven't stumbled through myself. And so it is possible. And it was interesting during COVID, you know, we all went through lots of webinars and things. And this woman I was talking that I really admire, and she said, you know, what's your niche? I'm thinking my niche is interior design. She's like, if you just said interior design, you're failing. I'm like, oh, whoops, I'm failing. Yeah. And she's like, what turns you on? What lights you up? And I'm thinking, I don't know what lights me up. And then she said, what makes you mad? The minute she said that, I go, oh, well, that's easy. What makes me mad is designers not knowing and not taking advantage of renovation management. And so I will say that's what got me to my niche, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not that I've never done it. It's actually what I've always done. It's, yeah. I think designers get caught, at least myself, get caught up in, we don't know what we don't know. And what makes things seem easy are things others are, are struggling with, right? So you'll tell me something and I'll go, oh my God, duh. And you're like, well, don't, yeah. don't underestimate yeah. yourself. It's what you do, right? Yeah. It's we were just you- talking about that 30 minutes ago. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think designers get stuck. And, and I think some of it is that we work in small offices or by ourselves. You don't have that sort of bouncing of ideas off of people. And so you do tend to get, get in your head too much. And, and we all know what happens when you get in your own head too long. Yeah. It can be like, yeah. spiraling. Well, I was just going to say, like, to your point on niching down, let's just have a quick combo on this, right? You guys, and I say this with so much love and so much kindness, but like, if you don't niche down, it's going to be very challenging for you. Very challenging. So there's a few different ways that I help my clients niche down, and each of them are incredibly different, right? So sometimes I'll work with a woman and we niche her down for a certain type of project. So it might be like just historic homes. That's a niche. It could be new builds. It could be total full scope, right? Like from the ground up. So that's one category. The other category is the type of client. So I have a lot of clients where we're like, we really want to work with busy professionals that are, you know, looking for turnkey. Both mom and dad, they both work. We have dual incomes here. They're professionals themselves and they want a professional. So that's one way to do it as well. And then the third is the combination of the two. Is it a certain type of client mixed with a certain type of project? And I say this to my clients often, and I say it on stages often when I'm doing speaking events. But you guys, if you're not declaring your brand, someone else will. And the market will declare it for you. And that's the last thing you want. So a really good kind of checkpoint for yourself to get honest and real If you are getting referrals that don't make sense for you, meaning they're too small, they're too this, they're too that, they're just wrong, that tells me that you're not declaring your brand. People want to help you, but if you're not telling them what you want to do and how they can help you, they're going to give you the wrong referrals. So everyone kind of do like a pulse check here. If you look at your past referral list and more than 70% were not super exciting or in alignment, or sorry, I should even say 50%, then we have a problem here right? We have a problem here. So we're looking at the end of the year, right? It's it's the yeah. end of November. And the online chatter that I see inside some Facebook groups and industry groups is a bit of panic. You know, what end of year, gosh, my 2023 isn't, you know, my pipeline isn't filled. It's not even talking. And Rachel and I talked about this before we started recording is that everything ebbs and flows. And knowing when it's ebbing and you're panicking and what to do to get beyond that. And obviously niching would help. And what else do you recommend aside from just sort of waiting it out? If there really is an income issue, how do you help designers sort of stave that off so that they can stay the course? Yeah. 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 Well, let me just give you a, like a client example, right? Cause I literally was having this, this conversation two weeks ago and I have a client coming up that I'm coaching and we're working on some of our prep notes and whatnot. And she said the same thing to me, right? She's like, it's kind of crickets over here. And I know it's seasonal cause it's the holidays, but I'm a little bit worried about, you know, 2023. So 
how I'm coaching her and like how I would coach any of the listeners is we have to niche down. I know I like keep saying this over and over again, but number one, we have to figure out who you are in the market, how we're making sure that you're standing out. We have to declare it for her specifically. She was just calling herself like an interior designer in Charlotte, North Carolina, same with everyone else. So what we're doing is we're niching her down to work on family homes. Okay. We're looking for individuals that are younger families, right? That are finally ready to invest long-term in their home. Look at the difference, right? So if I'm a potential consumer and I'm like kind of bopping around the market, looking for a designer. And then I see someone that says like, I specialize in family homes. These are multi-generational properties that stand the test of time. Your kids are going to grow up here. We really want to invest and make it right. This is my expertise and specialty as featured by my domain, Better Homes and Gardens, House Beautiful. The first thing that you do as a consumer is you have the instant trust. Now you have credibility from this external press features. So all of a sudden, now they're not flinching at your rates, right? Because they're starting to think, I've been looking for an expert. They're declaring themselves an expert and same with Better Homes and Gardens. Okay. So right there alone, you're going to have a much easier sales conversation with individuals. So that's the first thing that has to be done. After that big piece is figured out and, you know, press can always come later, but it's that big piece of why you now it's so much easier for her to go to the other architects and builders in her area that work. And for her specifically, we're looking at homes that are ranging anywhere from 750,000 to about 1.5 million. Okay, that's like her market specifically. So now we know, because that's that market of that family group that she's looking for, we know the builders and the architects that specialize in those types of homes and projects. Now, do you see how it's so much easier for her and I to approach those builders and say, hi, my name's Katie. I specialize in this. This is my expertise, yada, 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 yada. I'd love to connect for a conversation. I think there's real synergy here. Now we got a pipeline filler. So when we're thinking ahead, if there's crickets, number one, just don't sit and wait it out, my friends. That's never a good move. Number two, don't panic and start to take things that aren't in alignment with your brand because what's going to end up happening is number one, you're going to dilute it. Number two, you're going to screw up your referral stream. If you're doing work that is not in alignment with what you want to do, people are going to think that that's what you do naturally because that's what you are doing. (laughs) So you're going to get similar referrals. So if you're doing a one-off room and you don't want to do one-off rooms, stop doing that because that's what people think that you do. People hang out with similar people. I have this conversation with my clients all day, every day. People hang out with similar people. If you want great referrals, then we need to start putting some boundaries up around your business. Yeah. And then what do you say to the designers? And I know I have tripped up on this a, a while ago. I try not to do this anymore. That take jobs that technically, you know, check all these boxes, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's in alignment with what I do. I think it will advance me in X, Y, and Z positions, but he's negotiating my fee. And I'm willing to negotiate below where I would like, but still can, in order to have all these other boxes checked. How would you recommend a designer walk away or negotiate or... It really is a case-by-case basis, honestly. I mean, like even with some of my designers that are 20 plus years in the industry that have like 80 features, like sometimes they'll see a project come around and they only take full scope home. The floor plans like all the way to the furnishings and they'll have some that just quite simply like they just don't need it. But guess what? That designer really wants it for her portfolio. So she's willing to have a conversation and edit a little bit to make sure that she gets her end result. So the question I think, becomes, number one, am I too overworked right now where this would feel like something I would resent? If that's the case, I always tell them the answer is no, right? But if it's something that you you see as another goal being reached, then there's an opportunity, I think, to explore that a little bit more. I'm always talking with my clients about these ideas called guardrails. And Renee, you, you haven't heard this yet fully in our work, but we started this conversation. So what do I consider guardrails? I consider as guardrails as the fence around you and your business that keeps getting tighter and tighter over time. I'm working with three women a month, right? Handing them 30 plus pages of notes of here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to do it. Not for right now, not only for right now, right? But from six months from now, from a year from now, from two years from now. So we start guardrail number one of, let's just say your first guardrail is that you're not willing to take anything under a three room minimum. 
start calling it that, you guys. Start telling builders, start telling architects and realtors, you don't take anything under a three-room minimum. Maybe your guardrail also with that is your kitchen renos start at 100. I'm just making this up. Guess what? You now specialize. I'm just making this up here. You now specialize in family homes that are from 750000 to $1.5 million, and you have a three-room minimum. Guess what? That's a whole lot clearer. Okay, as time goes on, six to eight months, you're getting those guardrails because you're declaring them. You're telling the market of who you are and where you sit. You're the specialized surgeon. Now we can take that three-room minimum to five-room minimum. Okay, and now all of a sudden the homes are sitting about 1.2 to 1.5. And this is how I help my clients advance very, very quickly because number one, we're declaring it. Number two, we're creating guardrails. And number three, we're being consistent. Not to say that you're in guardrail number three, two years from now, and you get a call from guardrail number one and you really want it for your portfolio, explore it. But make sure you have a goal that's being reached and you're not going to resent the project. How do you discuss the balance between social media, client retention, and filling pipelines? I know designers, it's a love-hate, and I'm the first to agree with that, with the Instagram, Facebook, things like that. But I also know that there are some designers who have tens and tens of thousands of followers. They say it's organically driven, and that that's how they get their, their clients. But I also know other designers who are like, I put countless time into it. It gets me nothing. You talk to and work with so many designers. Do you see a trend? Yeah. 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 Good question. So I only work with women. My expertise, right? So I'm declaring it right now. I only work with women that want less projects, more money. So women are coming to me when they're like, oh my God, I had 25 projects this year. They're all random one-offs here, there, and the other. I want to work with 10 projects a year, 10, and I want them all to be a lot larger. So in that market specifically, the majority of my clients are not getting their clients from social media. They're not. They're sitting in more of a luxury market, naturally, right? Like my whole work is sitting around launching fully into luxury market. And as a result, their clients are coming from two distinct groups. Actually, I should say three distinct groups. Number one, repeat clients, right? Larger budgets, multiple homes in some cases. Number two, they're coming from client referrals. People hang out with similar people. Number three, I call them pipeline filling partnerships. They're coming from the realtor. They're coming from the builder. They're coming from the architect where we strategize those conversations. So if you only need 10 projects a year, right? Call it two or three from an architect. Call it two or three from a builder. Call it two or three from this. And then one past client makes our life so much easier. So in that market where you don't need that many projects, social media is really not the biggest driver in many cases. In many cases, someone will take a peek at their social media because their builder recommended the designer and they want to confirm that they're everything that the builder said they were. So that's that specific market. Now, if a woman comes to me and she's like, listen, I work with 30 projects a year and I want to grow a team to handle 30 projects and she is low ticket, right? So lower ticket, higher volume. I always say, number one, I'm not your coach. I'm not. What you need is a social media strategist because your goal is to sell through social. You have to sell high volume because you're low ticket in order to make any money, right? So let's say you're calling it a two grand design fee per room. Uh, hello, you got to work with a bajillion rooms in order to make any money. You need to start looking at social media to monetize. Once again, that's not the market that I serve. The market I serve is low volume, 10 projects a year, high ticket. And it really, it's a networking game. It's a positioning game. And it is really a relationships game. Did that help answer that question? Absolutely. And I think designers struggle with that, right? They're like, well, I need a few of those 2000 a room because I haven't gotten the big whale. And how do you speak to that? I mean, it, because then they're spinning their wheels when they really should be focusing all of their efforts, all of their energy on securing better relationships with those partners you mentioned. Yeah. So when you start to spiral, and I see it all the time with my clients, right? They come to me and they're like, I was doing this with social and I had this social media gal doing this. And then I was going over here and I was speaking at this group and going to this networking. And I'm like, whoa, right? You and I were actually just talking about this like an hour ago. I'm like, what are the cash generating activities in your business? What are your MGAs? I call them your money generating activities. 
okay, we know referrals work for you. You're not getting the ideal referrals right now, but we understand that you're getting calls from them. How do I re-strategize this? You're looking at your social media. You haven't gotten any good leads from this. Let's quit it with social because it's obviously not working. So what I would say is you got to start looking really higher level at this business here. I see it often where I see clients that are working really, 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 really hard, but they're not working smart. And it's nothing on them, not that they're a bad person, not that they're not smart. It's just not their expertise. Just how like QuickBooks is not my expertise. I have, you know, my financial advisor come in and advise me on pieces of my taxes and whatnot. You hire someone else to help you or you start looking higher level at your business. Right. Why are they hiring an interior designer? I have a feeling all of my clients could go out and buy sofas and chairs, but they seek me out because I'm an expert in the field. And yet designers don't seek out experts in other fields. We feel totally figure it all out. I'm a trained designer myself, but I ha- I'm not on AutoCAD. Like I don't do that stuff anymore. I haven't done it in years since I was in school. You better believe, first of all, we're house hunting right now. I'm going to bring in one of my clients who is an interior designer to help me. And I'm an interior designer. The yes. point is, it's like you bring in people or you bring in resources or you listen to content to help you get over this hump. It's not your special factor. That's fine. There's something else that is. Right. And how do you monetize that becomes the question. Yes. Yeah. And I have designers reaching out to me. They're like, which you know drafting programs do you use? I'm like, none. I go, I, I yeah. completely farm that out. Why do I do that? Because I'm not good at it, right? It would take me ridiculous amounts of time to do something that someone else could whip together in an hour without thinking about it. And the relief, it's really fascinating. The relief I hear or see if I'm in yeah. person is, is overwhelming. And you know, they have spent countless hours researching all of the programs, going on YouTube, watching them, or they've downloaded the free version and they've watched YouTube videos and you're going, that's not your specialty. Your specialty is elsewhere. Go do that. Farm out the rest, find someone that can do it in a fraction of the time. And by the way, make you look more professional doing it. Absolutely. And I think that's also like to your point, it's one of my favorite parts. And it sounds like it's your favorite part too of your work. Like I love coming into a woman's business and being like, I'm going to simplify this whole thing for you. We need 10 projects, my friend. Here's how we're going to get the 10. And guess what? They're all going to be done over cocktails and coffee and, you know, through having Zoom chats. Let's do it. Right. Or like, I always say, I'm like, I'm not coming in looking at the blueprints with my clients. That's not my expertise. I'm coming in and the five to 10% tweaks, but that's where all of their money is hanging out. You're doing a sales call anyway. So might as well have the right strategy to convert, right? Like that's my favorite part is coming up with the sales scripts and strategies. Like you're doing it anyway, my friend, how do we position you as the expert here? Absolutely. And I find in my world with the renovation management that the designers are already doing it. My favorite terms are like, I got dragged into it. I got convinced to buy a client. I went kicking and screaming and and you're going, but someone saw something in you that you aren't A, recognizing, B, promoting. And how did you make out? You know, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but I was a little worried. And it's fascinating that designers are already doing it. They're not even recognizing that it's a skill they're building. Mm. I love that. I call it sitting on your gold, right? Yeah. I'm like, you're sitting on it anyway, my friend. You know, 90, I'm just using this client, Katie, we were talking about, but like 90% of your projects right now are family homes. We're not trying to figure out how to design a family home because you've been doing it. What we're doing it is now we're declaring it. Or I'm making this up again, just to give your clients other examples. Or like, you know what? You're already doing, I don't know massive refreshes on people that have been moving into your area from New York City. Let's say you're like upstate New York area. You're already doing these retreats for them. Why don't you declare it and say you're an expert at working with people that during COVID have moved to your area? Declare it. Yes. Declare it. You're already sitting on it, my friend. Yeah. Absolutely. And my favorite comeback is like, well, I wasn't seeking it out. Doesn't matter. You're already doing it. You're doing it well or well enough. And to go ahead and like you said, just declare it. And it it seems like they need me to give them permission 
right? Yeah. To, to actually be able to declare it. And to your point, one of my best friends from design school is in California. We were trained in the actual same rooms, right? But her market in California is incredibly transient people. They're yeah. Silicon Valley. They're coming with typically not much because they're getting these huge jobs. All of a sudden, they're coming from these teeny tiny little startup apartments. Her expertise couldn't be any more different than my expertise, right? Yeah. Because my clients where I live, they're not transient. They're living here for 5, 10, 15, 30 years. And so she declares herself so incredibly differently than I declare mine. But yet we were trained identically. And yeah. so I think it's fascinating because when she'll call me with questions, I'm like, okay, this is so cool. I never work in this kind of a you know yeah. client base. And vice versa, we share resources because I'm like, oh God, I got someone I, I don't really have this resource because my client base doesn't lean on that. And she's like, oh, do it all day long, every day. And I think right. that's what makes her successful in her community of designers mm -hmm. and what makes me successful amongst my community of designers. And I, yeah. I really want that for, for all designers. I think it is really the secret to their success. Yeah, I think it's the key to success. And, you know, you guys, you're not vanilla. So stop being vanilla. And I know that it's really hard. And I, I know some of you might be like, oh, she's saying that it's easy. I work with women and I only work with women. That's it. Specifically because I know that it's really hard to self-promote as a woman. And I deeply believe that women are incredibly talented and you're leaving money on the table you're leaving credibility on the table, you're leaving trusting clients on the table, and you're leaving so much joy with the types of clients you could serve on the table. So that's why I'm really passionate about this work. And just since we're brainstorming and talking right now, you guys, three quick things or three quick ideas that you could start doing right away is you could start you know, declaring yourself, right? And saying, I've decided to serve this market rather than saying, oh, well, I'm an expert. You could say, I've decided to serve this market because I'm so passionate. Okay, that's the easier way. So you're like, I've decided to really serve the family market because I'm so passionate about creating homes that create community. Now that sounds super kind, right? And there's really an art and a science to this. So that's one way to do it. You can say something like, over the years, the market has really recognized me as. So over the years, the market's really recognized me for doing historic homes. Over the years, the market's really recognized me for doing new builds. So you could use either of those. Another quick way that you can do it is you can say something like, I've been so honored to serve blah, blah, blah clients consistently. So, you know, I've been so honored to serve people that are relocating from New York City up here to the Hudson Valley consistently. And it's been such a passion of mine to help them create home that's out of their normal city limits. Okay. Yeah, so those brilliant. all it sound, and if you guys need to go back and listen, I mean, those are just like three really, really quick, but like, we're declaring it. We're still doing it kindly. There's a real art and a science to self-promotion that I'm so passionate about. And I wish I could say to you guys that it gets easier over time. Some of the largest names that I work in the industry that you guys all like listen and consume their content, it doesn't get easier. I think you just get better at it. I would agree with that. Absolutely. And just case in point, I'd say five, six, seven years ago, I started changing how I answered the question, what do you do for a living? You know, mm. you're at a cocktail party, you're amongst friends, or at least people, you know, one degree, two degree. And I would say, I'm an interior designer. Never thought anything about it. And they say, oh, that sounds like fun. And, you know, we're all, yeah. everyone's chuckling. Yes, fun. And I changed it. And I actually don't remember consciously doing it, which... I'm sure Rachel would want me to consciously do it. I We're going to come up with a networking script, my friend. I already right? got that for you. <laughs> but I started changing with, I'm an interior designer. I specialize in renovation management. Yep. And the minute I said that, the entire conversation shifted. Now, it didn't mean that they were a potential client, but their interest, how did you get into that? What does that mean? I never knew designers could do that. And you know that that person walked away remembering that conversation. Yes. And who knows who they told next? Who knows if they told, you know, if it was a guy and he told his wife later and it was fascinating. And the minute 
I recognized the shift. Of course, I did it more. But like you said, it doesn't get easier. I don't toot my horn very easily. I love podcasting because I can do it kind of in a private, you know, one-on-one. I'm looking at Rachel today, but my normal podcast, I am looking out the window of my son's bedroom. And everybody who listens knows that that's the room I identified as having the best sound qualities. So I don't do that well. And it's an ongoing practice that I know I need to practice. And I want more designers to hear me knowing I have all these years of experience. I do not question my abilities and I still have to practice at it. You still have to practice. And off of that idea, like something that I'm also sharing often with my clients and guides, feel free to write this down if it serves you. But it's this idea of like, when people don't know you, they don't trust you. And rightfully so. I mean, we live in like an oversaturated market, but guess what they do trust? They do trust, you know, you declaring yourself an expert. They do trust media outlets. So for example, like Renee, when you introduced me today, we talked about how like, I'm a speaker at Harvard Business School. They bring me in to educate their women. You guys don't know me, but you trust Harvard Business School. So you start to think, all right, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, right? Like she knows what she's talking about, right? Or you might not know all of my up and coming clients, but you do know some of the big names that I coach, right? You know, Kathy Quo, you know, Luann Nigera. So you start to think, okay, based off of association, with those sorts of clients or that sort of stage or, you know, me being an AD or Forbes or any of those outlets, you don't know me, but you know those third-party validations. So it builds trust. So my friends, if you are sitting on an award, if you are sitting on a big name client, maybe it's, I'm making this up, you guys, some local CEO that owns all of the local auto companies or whatever, the car dealerships. And that's a widely well-known entrepreneur in your area. If you have been featured locally, start connecting those pieces to your brand. Because watch the difference. Saying, I specialize. First of all, just being like, hey, I'm a designer. Okay, eh, we give that like zero stars. Okay, now what we're giving, which Renee just went, which was awesome, of like, I'm a designer that specializes in renovation management. All right, ding, 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 we'll give it four stars. Okay, watch this. I'm a designer that specializes in renovation management for individuals that need turnkey properties. And my clients are ranging from entrepreneurs to C suite executives. Okay, ding, 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 ding. (laughs) There's seven stars. Okay, now watch this. That added with, you know, and over the years, my work's been featured in Wall Street Journal, Better Homes and Garden. Ding, 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 right? All right, my friend, here's my uh, wallet. What's your rate? And honestly, if I said that at any of these social events, I think I would leave them speechless. Yeah. And like a wow, we didn't like understand you're so powerful. And we don't have to say it in one sentence. So how I'll do it is kind of kindly over time. Be like, yeah, I do a lot of keynote speaking. People are like, what stages? <laughs> right. And then you're like, yeah, this is where I speak. Right. And then people start to say, oh, wow, that's interesting. My point is, it's like, I'm going to say it again, though, because I think repetition is always powerful. But like when people don't know you, they don't trust you, but they trust third party validation. So let's go back to that example with my fiance, Travis, in the accident. Okay. If that specialized surgeon did not tell me that he specialized in hand surgery, if he did not tell me he worked with the top pianists in the world, if he did not tell me that he did thousands of surgeries at Northwestern forehand, number one, he did me a disservice by giving me a sense of calm. How powerful is that, you guys? If you are not declaring your expert, you're not only shooting yourself in the foot in your business, but you are missing an opportunity to support people in the work you want to do and build trust and build calm. They're looking to hire experts. Tell them you are one. Tell them you are one. I think that's powerful. And I do think, and I hate to you know paint with a broad brush, but I do think designers are leaving a lot out there because they don't declare themselves. They don't boost and toot their own horns. They don't see the value that they can bring. They don't see the life-changing world that your designs can promote. And that's why I like people like you. I like other guests that come on and we are constantly, hopefully, like you said, repeating the same narrative. 
You yeah. are good at what you do. You need to declare it. You need to share it. Don't just declare yeah. it in your own office with a little, you know, one of those totally. boards, right? Yeah. <laughs> a little motivational yeah. board. You can have that too, but you must share it. And and again, I always speak from experience. When I worked in Manhattan, I worked for names who's had buildings with their names on it. And it was beaten into me by my bosses. You talk about these clients, you're fired. I mean, mm-hmm. no questions asked, one strike policies. So I came out of New York. I still don't talk about my clients. And that was 22 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Shame on me. I worked in some of the finest buildings that New York City has to offer, but it was beaten into me. It was a different time. It was in the 90s. There was no social media. You certainly did have to keep the privacy private. And that was part of what my boss had declared. I keep your information. I keep your names private. Brilliant for her. I do have some clients that we really brand them as incredibly discreet. But guess what? We chose to make that decision. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And I was like, naive. I brought that into my own business. No, they I just was not made that part of, of their branding. Exactly. I mean, one of my clients like works with celebrities and we really have them known as a celebrity designer, but won't disclose names. Right. And it's incredibly discreet does NDAs with everyone, like blah, 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 blah. But that's part of our positioning that we've done with her. But she can promote that. Exactly. Yes. Right? And I think designers exactly. get hung up. Well, I can't talk about my clients. Well, what I should have been saying was I work for the celebrity businessman in Manhattan. There's a way, if you don't, yes. you don't want to use a public name, there's a way to say it. Yes. I mean, if I didn't want to say Harvard Business School, I could have said, you know, Ivy Lakes. Okay, yep. you guys still get the same dang idea. Yeah. Yes. Now, in that perfect example, I think there's less credibility when someone says Ivy League as opposed to Harvard, right? And yes. But you still, if I felt for whatever reason, Harvard said you can't say that you spoke at Harvard. I mean, exactly. That obviously wouldn't be the case. But if it was, I mean, me zipping my lips and be like, well, they said I couldn't say anything. Then I left money on the table. So I just won't. So why don't I do what my B option is? So I say that you guys have like, if you don't want to use a specific name, if you don't want to use a specific this, that, and the other, how can you generally say it? That's honestly only 10% of my clients. Are we really doing that? The other majority, we can really declare a name. Not necessarily a person, but press outlets, types of projects. Exactly. And I think that's uh, designers leave a lot of that on the table thinking they can't say anything. So therefore they say nothing. But I agree with you. I think there's a billion different ways of saying the same thing, getting the point across how much of an expert you are without saying, I work for Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Yeah. And the common theme here is you're declaring it and you're not letting the market declare it for you when you declare it. So that's like one piece of what I do, right? But my next favorite part of all of that is, okay, well, we got it. Now, how do we monetize it? (laughs) Right? And I'm obsessed with the strategy that comes there because now it becomes, my client made a joke the other day. She was like, I feel like you helped me find hundreds of thousands of dollars just sitting in my sofa. And I was like, what? What do you mean? She was like, I've been sitting on this. It's in my couch cushions, but you're helping me look at this piece and rework it. And that becomes the next stage, right? It's like, okay, well, how do we take this and how do we approach architects with this? Why should they be calling you in for the project over everyone else? What do they get? What does this meeting look like? What marketing material do you bring? You have to, step one, figure out the positioning declaring the brand before you start to move into other pieces. I can't tell you how many times I meet a woman that's like, oh my gosh, I you know, just redid my website. She thinks the branding's website. And I'm like, no, that's 2% of it, right? And I'll look at it and I'm going, oh my gosh, it's a beautiful website, but you didn't declare who you are here. Or I'll meet a woman that's like, oh yeah, I'm part of this networking group and I'm trying to meet all the top builders and I'm part of this VIP circle. And I'm going, all right, that's good. But like, what are you saying there? the foundational pieces that are the most important. And that's why I say like the sooner you can figure this out in your business, the more success you're going to have is sincerely why you over everyone else. What's your specialized surgery? Press comes from there. Sales calls comes from there. Website comes from there. Partnerships with architects and builders come from there. It all comes from that foundational piece. That's my most successful clients. And I know the answer to this, but I would love for you to say, this is really not dependent on how much experience you have, correct? No. Yeah. 
Yeah, believe it or not, you guys, and some of you might be like, oh, kind of annoyed by this. Some of my most financially successful clients are pretty freaking new in the game. We just rode that wave. We figured out the positioning and then they moved very, very quickly, very quickly. So they'll meet me at $500,000 in sales and then we'll bring them up to two, two and a half in a year or so, year and a half. I mean, obviously it depends on the woman, right? It depends on the woman. It depends on the market, but yeah, it's less of an experience thing. Some cases it is, some cases it's not. It's just depending on the market. So a million years ago, when I was still in school, I was working part-time for a extremely well-known interior designer in New York. Mm-hmm. And she came out of the financial world and was an, quote, overnight success. And I was new. I was very young. And I thought, what has she done? What is her specialty? She's probably just really good at sales, is she? First thing she did was hire a PR team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I her promotional sales. Yep. Yep. She had designers who were also household names hating her because she walked in and erased 10 years of their slow growth and climb and you know networking. And she just went in and said, actually, I know how to do this. And was she any and this is why I won't say the name, was she any better skilled than the others? No. She knew how to promote herself. You got that it. was yeah. the difference. It was at the time, honestly, I did not recognize really where it all came from. It was over time. I look back and I think, oh my God, she's brilliant. And this was long before designers really were into that back, yeah. back in the day. They were one job at a time, right? Promotional, getting the next job, Kips Bay, things like that. And she did all of that. Yeah. But she did all of that skipping the decade of work that her totally. peers had yeah. really clawed their ways up there in New York. Yeah. And I really, I mean, that's what I do. And I have that written in my website copy. I help my clients skip the three to five year learning curve. But just to be clear, I'm only taking women that have portfolios that know what they're doing, right? Yes. Like if you come to me, you're like, oh, I'm day one and I don't even know, you know what high point market is. Okay, we're not a match, right? But the question becomes, how do I take women that are so talented? They're really, really, really good designers. And you could be a really good designer with three years experience. You could be a really great designer. And how do we monetize it? How can we skip the learning curve? It's to your point of promotion. And again, it comes back to declaring yourself and having having the courage and the confidence to believe it first and then sell it. Yeah. How do you just take the jump and be scared, but do it anyway? Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. All right. So this has been amazing. I know everybody's sort of probably pulled over to the side of the road if you're listening in the car. <laughs> um, I have one woman. She says, I jog to your episode. Oh, that's cool. Right. Yeah. I said, are they long enough for you? She's like, they're perfect length. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I know people are sitting there going, that sounds great, but I doubt that that's directed at me right? There's always that self-doubt. We are our own worst enemies. I am right there in that camp. You know, how do you, again, we're looking at the holidays, we want to enjoy them, but we're starting to panic that our workload has, you know, maybe slowed to an incredibly slow pace. 2023 calls haven't started. We're starting to get that panic and we don't want to spiral because I'm also someone who has experienced spirals and they get you nowhere fast. What else can you recommend to to a designer anytime they're listening, any time of the year, if there is a slower period or a slowdown in the industry? Yeah, good question. Something that we did with one of my clients semi-recently is I had her list out of five of her favorite past clients in the past few years that she stayed in close contact with that brought her dreamy projects. And she went back and set up little meetings and coffee dates with each of those clients. And she she had really good rapport with them, right? Like she did a great job on their projects. And she asked them if they knew of anyone similar. She got two projects from that, two. They didn't happen overnight. One of them came actually pretty quickly. The other one took a little bit of time, but there was she was sitting on it. But to be clear, she wasn't just like, do you know of anyone that needs a project? She's like, here's what I'm doing now. Here's who I'm specialized in working with. Here's what I specialize in doing. She gave them her guardrails. She declared who she was, and then she made the ask. So I think that that's a great activity to think that's about. That's a wonderful idea. Yep. Yeah. And you can really only ask one time, you guys, for that referral. So make sure you're being clear on what your ask is. You don't want to be in the same position you're in now, perhaps, where you're getting the wrong referrals. 
So you would just be in the same position and then you'd kind of like not look so great asking a client to refer you and then you don't want the project. So just be clear on the upfront. Good point. Good point. Because that has happened to designers in the past. And actually, I've gotten calls where I haven't expressly asked for a referral, but someone says, hey, I know you worked with you know, Sally, and I've got this project and we dive into it and it's night and day project and I don't want the project. And you think, okay. And what I do typically is I follow up with Sally. I tell her, I spoke with your friend, Jane. We had this lovely conversation. The project isn't going to work out for me. I don't go into great details, but you, you still need to honor the fact that someone did think of you and refer you. But being yeah. clear on your you gotta declaration. You got to be clear though. Yeah, it's really crucial to that whole piece. And quite frankly, for your time, but most importantly, their time, no one wants to feel rejected and like spend time and be excited to connect with someone. So just be clear on the upfront. It helps everyone involved. That's well, what I would do if I were worried you guys about timing. That's a quick activity, generate cash. And not only that, but taking on the wrong project and knowing you're taking on the wrong project, mm. that doesn't serve the client. And I know no. designers want to serve the clients, but yeah. if her heart is going to be somewhere else and you're going to go on those meetings and site visits and go, oh God, I got to be here again. Okay. Someone's paying you to do that. That is absolutely the wrong thing. It also sends the wrong message. You know, even if you're quote, trying to cover it up, you know that they're feeling it on some, some level. And I hear it all the time. I'm going to take this project because I need the cash flow. I think, okay, but yes, you may be cash flow positive, but you are emotionally negative and you will lose future work because of that. You may not know that that's what you're losing it for, but it will happen. And I, my heart goes out to all designers, you know, who are feeling that panic, feeling that, oh my gosh, I don't have any work, but I agree. I think Rachel today has set down so many positive steps that can be applied. And maybe you change your mindset and say, Hey, I have a slow time period. I can actually Now's apply my time to think about these things, right? Yes. Again, I, I would love for you to add on to this, but these are not overnight fixes. No, no. Right? I mean, okay. Yeah. So here's a good note question point. So as mentioned, like I literally only work with three women a month because this work is so intensive. Now, even if I could get a client in next month, I wouldn't because there's a lot of mindset shifts. There's a lot of coaching in between. There's a lot of strategies that happen. You know, I'm typically booking my clients six plus months out with tons of coaching steps in between. And that's like with the support. So you guys, I would not start thinking this is an overnight thing that happens. Um, You want to start to chisel away. If I were you and this was the downtime, number one, I might reach out to some past clients to do that ask for the referral with your declaration. And then number two, I'd probably take myself for a day to a great coffee shop. And I would listen back to this podcast, write down some specific notes, treat yourself for a day, you know, get a massage at the end of the day, go for a run, whatever you want to do that feels good as a release. But I would book myself for like almost my my own kind of brainstorm day to take a few of these pieces during your downtime. Yeah. And you know what? I've said this before, and I, I don't think I've told you this, but I was working in New York. I came home for a long weekend with my parents and my father looked at me and he goes, you're exhausted. I said, I am. I'm, mm-hmm. I literally just want to hide out here all weekend and sleep. And he said, well, how can you be creative when you're exhausted? Yeah, you can't. You can't. And at the time I was, you know, brash in my twenties, I was living the high life in New York. I was like, what does he know? He knew a lot and you can't be creative, whether it's in the project or whether it's getting more projects, being creative. You feel like you're like paddling to stay afloat and that's no way to run a business. That's no way to do high level work. I mean, how are you going to get to where you want to go if you keep doing the same things? Yes. You're not with so much love and kindness, but I'm a New York girl, (laughs) right? Like you're not. Right. Yeah, you're not. You're not. You got to rethink that. Yeah. Well, Rachel, this has been incredible. Is there anything else, any other tips, any other insight, any other homework you can suggest? I don't think I want to overwhelm because I think I gave a lot of ideas. And I know as a coach, I always say I'm a coach first and a speaker second. Giving empowering tools that you guys can implement right away is like what I want to see. So I think if you listen back, write down some ideas, start playing around with this declaration. If you're listening to this podcast and you're like, wow, this is really resonating with me and you're interested in exploring more of the work that I do, you can check out my website. It's Rachel 
Bozik, B-O-Z-S-I-K.com. I run three different packages and all of those, I'm only working with three clients a month amongst all three of them. So just to be clear, it's just three in total. And you can learn more about my work and how I serve and how I connect. And, you know, my work really starts around you being in a position in your business where you want less clients and more money. So if that's you, reach out to me, fill out an application. We can have a conversation to see if it makes sense. And if it's not you, could you reach out to me and tell me why? (laughs) Why would you not want your clients greater profits? Well, you know what? Just, yeah. I mean, like I'm not like a $2 coach and, and there's nothing wrong with cheaper end coaches. But for me, I am so involved in the relationship with my client that, you know, I'm making those press contacts for them, right? Or I'm in their business, you know, a year later or we we're just talking about, it. I'm going to Scottsdale for a speaking event this week and I'm meeting with two of my favorite Arizona clients. We're going to grab brunch and I saw them two years ago. So if you feel like you need that one-on-one support and also I always view my coaching as like, yeah, it's a little bit pricier, but at the same time, like with the types of clients that we are going to end up serving, you're going to upgrade that in a light fixture. Exactly. And it is. I mean, like, yeah, you're going to upgrade in a light fixture. I'm right for the right woman and I'm not right for others. And that's okay. That's okay. You guys, because you've declared that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's just also, I know my do. value too. I do this work because yes. I want to do this work. Yes. So if you feel like you need the support, reach out to me. I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. And yeah, listen back to this episode if it's helpful. Oh, well, they're going to put this on constant replay because this is incredible and, information. And also side note, I'm so honored to be the hundredth episode. <laughs> you <laughs> told me that this morning. I think that is so cool. I don't think I've ever, you know, been, I mean, Maybe someone didn't tell me, but I don't think I've ever been a hundred. So I think that's pretty special. And I appreciate you slating me for that one. Absolutely. And I can promise you when I first did episode one, I never even thought that there'd be episode a hundred, but this has been such an enriching experience for me for reaching out and learning about people like you, meeting people, meeting designers. It's It's been really something that I actually look forward to every week as I, like you, try to strategize how to empower women to improve their lives through work, through mindset, through physical skills and knowledge that they need. And so I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that we're at 100. Well, it's obvious that you love what you do. Yeah, it's super obvious that you love what you do. And I think you're such a gift in the industry. So I'm so glad that not only that we get to do this, but you and I are coaching together and we've built a relationship outside of this. So absolutely. So cheers to 100. Cheers to 100. We'll have you back before 200. How about that? Okay, that works. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Wow, that was incredible. So filled with ideas from guardrails to declaring your specialty and building consistency. I know you all are leaving this episode energized and excited for what you can create in the coming year. And to Rachel's point, I love what I do. And it's why I'm super excited about serving women about my specialty, renovation management, and why I built my signature course, Renovation Management for Interior Designers. We are launching one more time this year. The course is a step-by-step guide to managing any renovation project for your client. It takes you from vetting the client in the first place, setting the construction up for success, building a team, reviewing budgets, handling your client along the way, working through issues that will inevitably happen during any project, culminating in the finished result that your client dreamed of and that you produced in the most professional way. Now, I've also been listening to all the designers that I've been fortunate enough to speak with, and they were looking for more, more nuts and bolts. So I went back into the course and have added a wealth of knowledge from spreadsheets to drawings to elevations to millwork. And I didn't just include them as downloads. There are individual videos walking you through how I approach them, what I suggest you take on your own and how to fill it out so that it does add value to not only your work, but also the larger project and the team. It is something I am truly proud of that will give any designer the knowledge and skills they will need in order to add or bolster this service for your clients. 
Think of it as a fast forward button based on the decades of experience I have so that you can avoid the mistakes I've learned along the way and benefit from the knowledge, best practices, and tips that I use every day on my own construction sites. The best way to find out more information about the course is to get on my email list. You can sign up for that on my website and you will receive the most current information about the launch we are starting tomorrow because I want you to finish this year strong and position yourself as an expert in renovation management to add a lucrative and predictable income stream to your firm. So get on the email list so you can stay informed. So I can't thank my friend Rachel enough for being my 100th episode and sharing her wealth of knowledge on how designers can position themselves in the marketplace to stand out amongst this oversaturated industry. I can't wait to hear how you start implementing her ideas. I thank you for your time today, and I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for listening today, and feel free to join me on social media at Davine Design in order to stay up to date on the latest happenings in my construction world. There is more detailed information on my website for my signature courses for both homeowners and designers, as well as other material to help guide you through a successful renovation project. Make sure to follow my podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a tip. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the word, leave a review and tell your friends who are starting or are mid project. And thank you again for listening today.